be turning your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Excited today about the study we're going to go through. We're going to go through a study that I think is uh, tremendously important for every one of us to understand, and that is the grace and mercy of God. Grace and mercy of God, how that should impact our life and affect our life. Of course, uh, extremely important uh, thing to understand, the grace of God, right? The mercy of God. And how that should affect your life and how it should change the way you live. Uh, hopefully you'll enjoy this study. I think it'll be uh, good for all of us. Uh, no comment about the football game. You know, I know that uh, the uh, USC people don't want to hear about it. And uh, the UCLA people don't need to be boasting anyway. You know, uh, you've, uh, you've had your moment in the sun. Uh, you know, so whatever. Uh, I'm going to uh, Moscow, as Chris mentioned. Uh, I did not go last year. I try to go once a year uh, over there since we support them and uh, just to sort of stick my head in the door a little bit and uh, see the uh, the main leaders and uh, meet with uh, different parts of the church and uh, looking forward to doing that. Uh, again, it's always great to see them. They're a great source of uh, inspiration and uh, uh, you know all of them will send their love to all of you guys and gratitude for all that you do in supporting them. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read Ephesians 2 and Titus 3 right here together, sort of setting the scene for this, this topic, this idea of the grace and mercy of God. As for you, now of course Paul is writing to who? The church in Ephesus, right? But we can broaden this out to us. We're the church here, the Lifeway Church in San Gabriel. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you live... When you follow the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Okay, let's just stop right there real quick. He basically says, guys, I want you to remember that all of you were lost before you became a Christian. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, and so they're the saved in Ephesus, but he's, he's saying, I want you to remember back that all of you were in the exact same condition before you became a Christian. You were lost in your sin. All of us lived among them, he says, at one time. So, you know what? Nobody's any better than anybody else. You know, sometimes we sort of get into, well, you know, you did this sin, and I didn't do that, so I'm not as bad as you. Well, the truth of the matter is, it doesn't make any difference what sins you committed, they're all bad. And so all of us were at the exact same spot. All of us were in that position, he says in verse 3. In verse 4, he says, but because of His great love for us, God is rich in mercy. See that word there? Mercy. He's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Now the technical definition of grace is unmerited favor. You get something that you don't necessarily deserve to get. That's grace. It's unmerited favor. It would be like for all the kids down here in school that you're really doing C work in your class and you get your report card and you get an A. Wow. Oh, wow! That's awesome! Unmerited favor. You're doing C work, but you got an A. 
You'd love that teacher, wouldn't you? <laughs> You'd say, I, I want that teacher to teach all my classes. I want to take science with her, math with her, English with her. That teacher's awesome. I was doing C work and she gave me an A. Unmerited favor. That's what, that's what grace is. But mercy and grace, they go together. And he goes on, he says uh, in verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show His incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul is very emphatic here. He wants him to understand that this salvation that you now have is not because of something that you did or something that you're doing. Not by works so no one can boast. You see, sometimes in life, we do things and we legitimately do it. And so the old saying is, it ain't bragging, it's just fact. Okay? If you've done it, then it it happened. Hey, I did it. I earned it by what I did. He's saying there's no way that you can earn your salvation by anything that you would do. Let's imagine some amazing things that a person might do in in a sense of their their work for God, their work for God. Let's say that you gave a million dollars to the church. Would that be impressive? Yes. Yes. (laughs) It would be very impressive. I've never known anybody really that's done that. That that would be phenomenal to give a million dollars to the church. But is that million dollar gift to the church of same value as the death of Jesus on the cross no. to God? No. no, not even close. Not even in the same ballpark. A million dollars. Are you kidding me? For the death of God's one and only Son. Okay, let's say, let's just you know, put financial things aside. Let's say that you went out and evangelizing and you brought a hundred people to the Lord in a month. Wow. You had a hundred people that you shared your faith with that got baptized. Would that be phenomenal? Yeah. yeah, that would be phenomenal. I've never known anyone to do that in a month. But would that be of same value as Jesus dying on the cross? No. And so there's no way, there's no how that anyone can say, hey, what I've done earned my salvation. Your salvation is by grace. God's grace to you. God's mercy to you. There's no way you could do anything or will ever do anything in an accumulated sense. You say, well, I've been a Christian... For 55 years, I deserve to be saved. No, that would never be enough. 
to earn your salvation. So there's nothing you can do or ever will do to earn your salvation. You are saved, as it says there in verse 8, by God's grace through faith. Obviously, you're involved. Your faith is involved in you making that decision to become a Christian. This is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. And then he sort of, he balances this out a little bit. He says, for we are God's workmanship. Hey, God's made you. He's, he's developed you. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works. Now, isn't that interesting? We're not saved by our works, but because we are saved, what do we do? We do good works. <laughs> We're not saved by our good works. But we are saved, and because we are saved, then we do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Unbelievably awesome passage of Scripture. Now, look over to Titus 3. Titus 3 is a parallel passage in topic to Ephesians 2. And you'll see it here as we read it and study it here a little bit together, of how it's very, very similar in the things that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Now he's writing to a young minister, Titus, that he had trained for the ministry, and he's giving him further instructions in ministerial things. Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. See, there's that word again, mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, see how mercy and grace go together? It's almost like you can't talk about one without bringing up the other. They're very similar terms describing the same basic uh, event in a person's life. Mercy and grace. We might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. You see the parallel? It's an unbelievable parallel passage of, of what He taught the church and now what He's teaching an individual. They should be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and they are profitable for everyone. Okay, let's go back and look at this one a little bit in, in, uh, in a little deeper way. At one time we all were. And, and this time he sort of goes into some of the things that people did before they became Christians, the way they lived before they became Christians. At one time we were foolish. <laughs> Boy, the stories we could tell, right? of the foolish things that we did, stupid things that we did before we became Christians. For some of us, we're lucky to be alive. And that's not an exaggeration. I remember very clearly going out drinking. That's what we did back when I was growing up. We'd go drinking. We went out drinking. You'd go out in the country drinking. And I was drinking with my friends, driving around, drunk, in the car. And I had to uh, throw up because I was drinking too much. And so I opened the door, driving along. I don't know how fast we were going, 30, 40 miles an hour. And I'm just hanging out the door, vomiting. Foolish. 
That is stupid. <laughs> Real stupid. Now don't be getting uppity on me. Because some of you knuckleheads have done some of the same things. Okay? I'm just up here talking. <laughs> Foolish. I, and I don't want to upset all you kids. You thought I was a real good guy. Well, now you know. There you go. Before I became a Christian, I was uh, a piece of work. Uh, just like your mom and dad were. Amen. Uh, and you tell him, you tell him, go home today at lunch. Mom, tell me, I want to know the stories. Come on. Soak it up, Dad. Come on, we want to know. At one time, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, all kinds of stuff. A to Z. We lived in malice and envy. Yeah, all kinds of drama going on in our lives all the time. Drama, drama, drama. Being hated and hating one another. You know, for, for, for a lot of people, honest to goodness, the, the holiday season, they almost dread it. Maybe you're one of them. Because you dread the, the, the reality. You've you got to deal with your family. You know, in March and April and, and, and you know, September and October, you don't, you, you don't have to really deal with them. But in December, oh, uh, we've got to go over there again, you know. Uh, you know, Uncle Leroy, whatever. Uh, you know, whatever it is in your life or you know, the names there uh, in, in your family. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Once again, this concept that you didn't do anything. God, God did the work, not you. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, renewal by the Holy Spirit, obviously a reference back uh, to baptism. Uh, and, and He goes on and, and He says that in verse 7, this is a wonderful thought, so that, so that uh, uh, having been justified by His grace, but the, by the word justified, the way to understand that word is just if I'd never sinned. That's how you understand justified. That's what justified means. It's just as if I had never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. You're, you're cleansed. That's what he's talking about there with the, you know, the renewal of the Holy Spirit being, uh, 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 being poured out on us generously, etc., etc. He says, but, uh, he says we have become, might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. An heir of God. Now, sometimes being an heir doesn't mean much. You know, we talk about this sometimes. Uh, people my age, we talk about, well, you know, uh, uh, when my parents pass, you know, I'll, I'll get whatever my inheritance is. You know, in some cases, in some families, the inheritance is a pretty good inheritance. You know what I'm saying? In other people's lives, when their parents pass, they hope they don't get a bill. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? It's a little different inheritance. If you understand what I'm saying, you know. In some cases, you become heir of thousands or millions of dollars. In some cases, no. But he says you're going to be an heir of God, who owns everything. That's pretty awesome, right there. You're an heir of God. You're in the family of God. You're in good standing in the family of God. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And that's, that's what he's bringing up here in this whole concept of being saved by grace and mercy. And I love what he says to him because he's speaking to a minister here. He says, and I want you to stress these things. 
Paul is talking to Titus, saying, as a minister, I want you to stress these things. You know what? As a minister, I'm going to stress some things. Other things, maybe we... I may not preach on some things very often, but there's some things that I'm going to talk about all the time. I'm going to stress these things. That's what Paul tells Titus to do. He says there's some things that need to be talked about a lot. They need to come up a lot. And some of you that have known me for many, many years, you may say, Marty, I've heard you preach on this or talk about this umpteen times. Well, that's fine. There's some things that you're going to hear many, many times. And he's telling you, I want you to stress these things. Because those who have trusted in God must be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So the grace and mercy of God affects our life in a tremendous way. Now here's what I want to bring this down to in in, in some practical areas of, of your life. The grace and mercy of God should affect you. You know, there's things in life that affect us. And he's saying, these things are so important, they should affect you. This should change you. It should alter you in one way or another in your life. And I've got four little things here that I want to hit. Oh my gosh, I didn't start my watch of how long I've gone. Oh my. Oh well, okay, I'll have to guess. Sorry about that. Some of you probably timing me, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, preach on, huh? Okay. Number one, it should make you a worker. He talked about this a number of different times. But I want to look at one other passage about that. Look over to 1 Corinthians 15. The grace and mercy of God should affect you. It should make you a worker. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9, this is Paul sharing about his own life. And he says, For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Now we're going to see this kind of an idea here of humility that's going to come up in a number of different times. But he says, you know what? Uh, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's thinking back on his life before he became a Christian. And he's saying, you know, I did some pretty bad things before I became a Christian. And I, and I, still, I still feel it in, in, in who I am today. He says, I know I'm a Christian now. I know I'm even an apostle. I'm a leader in the church. A very important leader in the church. But I, I, I often feel like I don't even deserve to be there. Because of what I did before I became a Christian. So he still has some connection. You know what? That's all of us have that. We remember back to what we were and what we did before we became Christians. We're like, you know, I'm still a little embarrassed about that. I did it 10, 15 years ago. I did it 20 years ago. But we still remember what we did, right? And he remembers that, man, I did some bad things. I killed Christians. And we, we know that he did that because in the book of Acts... He was there giving approval to Stephen's death. And he went to uh, Damascus for the reason to imprison and to execute Christians. So he did this a lot. He says, you know, I, I remember that and I feel bad about it. In verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He says, hey, I'm an apostle in the church. I, I'm a child of God, not because I'm awesome, but because of God's grace, Right? He says, but he, he says, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. I'm assuming all of them means the other apostles. He's saying, hey, I think I work harder than any of these guys. 
Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believe. He says, the grace of God makes me want to work. And he said, okay, what, what work is he talking about? Well, I think he's clearly talking about trying to help people become Christians. I think he probably is implying the work, if you will, the work of dealing with Christians in the relationships that we share with each other. Have you ever noticed that Christian relationships sometimes are work? Have you ever noted that? Have you ever got tired of someone having problems? Someone that you know? You're like, oh... Again? She's got an attitude? Again? I have to go through this with him? Again? He's upset with somebody? Again? She's in sin? Again? Or is it just me? (laughs) You know what? We are work to put up with each other and love each other and be patient with each other and teach each other and counsel each other and all the different things that we do with each other and the one another concepts of discipling and relationships. That's work. So he's talking about helping people become Christians. He's talking about dealing with Christians and other things that you can probably infer from that. But he says, the grace and mercy of God makes me want to work. If you... In your vision of God, in your imagery of God, is it God loves you so much that He made an incredible sacrifice so that you could have a relationship with Him? It has an impact on you where you want to do things as opposed to having to do things. You understand what I'm saying? There's a difference. If you have to do it, it's sort of drudgery. If you want to do it, it's eh, maybe even a little fun. Or, or it has a, a, a different feel to it if you want to do it. Yeah. As opposed to, I have to do this. If you have to do it, it's just work. If you want to do it, it's what you want to do. And you enjoy doing it and you get pleasure from it. So the grace and mercy of God should make you a worker. Secondly, it should make you want to get sin out of your life or to be pure. Look over to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. It should make you want to get sin out of your life or a desire to be pure. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. You guys there? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. In other words, the, the grace of God is available to all. Everybody has an opportunity to be saved. It teaches us, it being what? It, the grace of God, right? The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The grace of God should teach you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. I think it's worthy to note, guys... He's writing here to Titus and what Titus needs to be teaching to the churches. And he understands that even though people have become Christians, 
they still have a sinful nature that is alive and active in their life. Sometimes this is a big confusion for people. They're like, what's wrong with me? I've been a Christian for six months. I've been a Christian for six years. I've been a Christian for 15 years. What's wrong with me? I still want to sin. Well, the answer is there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. You are as normal as normal gets. That is not going to stop in your life. You still have a sinful nature. Now, in becoming a Christian, you have been forgiven of your sins. 1 John chapter 1 says that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, the blood of Jesus continues to purify us from all sin. And so we're not you know, stepping in and stepping out of the circle of salvation. That's how sometimes people begin to live their Christian life. They think, okay, I'm doing good spiritually. I got up in the morning. Okay, your wife is short with you and you, you, you snap at her. Oh no, I stepped out of the circle of salvation. Now I'm lost. God, I'm sorry. Oh, back into the circle of salvation. Okay, you walk out the door. The, the car doesn't start because your life left, left the lights on and the battery ran down. And your oh, wife is stupid. Okay, okay, now you're lost again. Oh, God, forgive me. I shouldn't tell my wife she's stupid. Oh, now you're back and saved again. And you spend this whole day jumping in and out of the circle of salvation. Guys, that's not it. If you walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, the blood of Jesus purifies you from all sin. You're continued in a saved condition, even though at a particular moment in time you may have done a sinful thing. Now, if you live a sinful way, then you're not walking in the light. Do you understand the difference? Pretty easy, right? Now, does God want you to be lost? No. God's not looking there waiting. Okay, I can't wait, man. If He steps to, bam! Ah, you're out of here. That is not how it goes. God wants you to be saved. He wants you to be right. He wants you to be in a, in a great relationship with Him and with His people, etc., etc. You understand what I'm saying? That's the grace of God. God is treating you graciously. Isn't that grace? He's treating you mercifully. He continues to do that as you make genuine effort to try to be a child of God. Have you ever done something like, you know, I wonder on a scale of 10 how good a Christian I am? You, you ever thought about that in your life? None of you have ever thought about that? i thought about that. I think, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, you know what, where do I really fall? You know, am I an 8? 9? 3? You know, maybe one day I'm a 3, one day I'm a 9. I don't know. But, you know, we have these feelings and thoughts sometimes in our life of, okay, how am I doing spiritually? Where am I at spiritually? And you can get really off the rails on that when you begin to think, okay, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a 9, I'm a 10 because I'm in church. Well, I've been in church not doing very well spiritually from time to time. And you say, well, boy, you're a hypocrite. Well, what better place for a hypocrite than church? <laughs> I mean, at least if you're at church, you're getting on the right way, uh, you know, of getting back to where you need to be. So, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I had a bad week spiritually, I'm not going to come to church. Well, that's dumb. On top of dumb. 
it was bad that you didn't do, do well spiritually and now you're complicating your problem by not going to church. Because one of the main reasons to come to church is to encourage us, right? To get us back into a good place. We need church. We need the fellowship. We need to hear the written word. Uh, 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 preached and, and those kind of things. We need the fellowship and the communion. All the things that go into a great worship service and experience. Bring us back. Build us back up. I think that's one of the reasons that God wants us to take communion. Every week when we come together. Because we need that time of communion with each other, communion with God. But this, this, this concept of, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if I should come because I'm not doing good. If you're not doing good, this is the first place you need to come, not the last place you need to come. You don't do well spiritually and then come to church. You come to church sometimes because you're not doing well spiritually, so you can do well spiritually and get to where you need to be. But, but the whole thing here in Titus chapter 2 is that the grace of God should teach us to keep sin out of our life. See, if we're really convinced that God loves us, then we don't want to do things that are going to annoy Him. We're not going to do things that we know uh, anger Him. We're going to do things that, what, 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 that would please Him. So the grace of God teaches us to say no. Isn't that interesting? To say no. Sometimes in life, the issue of whether we sin or not is as simple as whether we say no. I'm not going to do this. No. And this is an inner dialogue. This is not you saying to somebody else, no, you're not going to do this. That's not what we're talking about. This is you talking to you. You ever have this inner dialogue? We all do, don't we? And this is you saying no. No, no, no. I'm not going to go there. This is your spirit controlling your flesh, your body. It's your inner person controlling the outer person. And you say no. Sometimes staying out of sin is as simple as that. No. We're not going there. We're not saying that. It's saying no. So, we've got two things here now. The grace and mercy of God should make you a worker, number one. It should make you pure, number two. Number three, it should make you humble. Look over to... And, and this is an interesting one. Look in your Old Testament to Second Samuel chapter 7. Come on, guys. Stay with me now. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now this is David at actually a later time in his life. He's already done a lot of great things and a lot of bad things along the way. And he's praying to God in verse 18. It says, Then King David went and sat before the Lord. By the way, I, I, I noted here in my, my Bible, uh, prayer position. He sat down. <laughs> you know, an, an interesting study sometimes is positions of prayer. And what you'll find, is if, if you read through the, all, all the Scriptures and study this, is that you can be walking in prayer, you can be sitting in prayer, is here, uh, you can be kneeling in prayer, 
Uh, you can lift your holy hands in prayer. I mean, there's all different kind of positions for prayer. Uh, and sometimes there's the prayer that it says, then she prayed in her heart, or he prayed in his heart. In other words, this is just an instantaneous prayer uh, that happened uh, inside a person, probably not even verbally said. Anyway, total sidebar there. Okay? But David says, he, he sat before the Lord, he says, Who am I? This is God talk, uh, David talking to God. Who am I? O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? David's humble. Who am I? There's times in all of our lives when we get a little bit inflated of who we are. We start thinking, I'm I'm important. Well, not really. And if you think back on your life, for most of us, we, we probably can, can identify pretty easily that we're not all that big a deal. You understand what I'm saying? You're just whoever you are. That grew up wherever you grew up. And that kind of thing. David says, who am I? So he's humble here as he's thinking about God now look over to Proverbs chapter 3 because this humility thing is very, very interesting as it pertains to uh, uh, the grace and mercy of God and how it affects the humble in, in sort of both ways. It's a circular thing. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 33, it says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but He blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but He gives grace to the humble. Now James and Peter quote this passage in First Peter uh, chapter three, I think it is, and in and James chapter four, I think that's right. Three, James four, whatever. James, James and Peter both quoted. Okay, that God gives grace to the humble. So the humble get grace, and then they're humble even more. The grace and mercy of God should make us humble. And therefore, we are humble in how we deal with people around us. And I'm gonna, I, I want to look at a passage on this in a minute. But this, this is important for us to understand. Why you? Is the question. Out of all the people that God loves, why you? And you have to come back to, who am I? You come back to what David said. Who am I? Why should I be blessed in such an incredible way? Now part of this is how do you look at your life? Do you look at your life as a life that's been blessed? Or do you look at a life that's not been blessed? You can answer that for yourself. I look at my life and say, man, I, I have been blessed so much, I cannot believe how much God has done for me. I look back to my heritage, my mom and my dad. I say, you know, hey, they may, they may have problems and they certainly did, but you know what? I, I, I had parents that loved me. I had parents that took care of me. I had parents that taught me certain things about life, common sense kind of things that I am so grateful for. Now you say, well, I didn't have those kind of parents. Well, okay, I'm sorry you didn't. I'm just sharing about my life. 
But even with every single one of us, even if we didn't all be blessed in the same kind of ways, you've got to be able to look back on your life and say, you know, I'm pretty sure God took care of me in a great way. God spared me. God blessed me. God gave to me. And what should that do? It should make you say, who am I? Why should I have received the favor of God in such a great way? And you're humble. You look back on your life and you realize God's taken care of you in a great way. He's protected you. And you feel humble because of it. Now, look over to James 3. I said we are going to look at James 3 here real quick and I want us to look at it. James 3, verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh, James 2, I'm sorry. James 2, verse 12. I was only one chapter off. See, I need mercy. <laughs> Let's read it again, verse 12. Sorry about that. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I want to encourage you to treat people mercifully. Not with judgment. You say, well, they deserve. Well, they might deserve. But this passage of Scripture says that if you don't treat people mercifully, if you treat people with judgment, then you are going to be judged. Jesus said this at one point. He says, you know, judge not, that should be judged. He says, the measure you use will be measured to you. If you treat people with an attitude of judgment, God says, okay, that's the way you want to go with it. I'm going to judge you the way you've judged other people. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Treat people mercifully. That doesn't mean that there's not a time in life where you don't have to reap what you've sowed. That doesn't mean there's not a time in life where you're not hard lying. But if the, if the overall description of your life is, is that you are a hard, cold, by the rules, by the facts person with no mercy, then that's the way God's going to treat you. Treat people mercifully. Husbands, treat your wife mercifully. Wives, treat your husbands mercifully. Well, he, well, he, that, I'm sure you married the biggest horse's rear end in, in the history of L.A. County. I'm sorry that you married such a terrible man. 
Really? <laughs> Parents, treat your children with mercy. Well, they deserve to get their tail busted for that. Well, bust it then, I don't know. <laughs> you know, sometimes mercy has such more of an impact on a person's life than judgment. You know, I got, Karina uh, 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 was asking me the other day about my, my grades in school. I, you know, I said, I got one F. <clears throat> Seventh grade algebra. Mr. Riley. <laughs> now bear in mind, my dad is a school administrator in the school district that I'm going to school. School administrators, generally speaking, don't like their children to come home with F's on the report card. And I got that F and I knew, oh, I got to take that home and I got to show it to my mom and to my dad. And you know what he said about that F? Nothing. It was on the page. Sure, it was in red. There's no way he didn't see it. Know what he said? Nothing. Not a comment. And I'm 59 years old and I still remember the mercy that was shown me. Now, did I deserve to get my butt kicked for that F? Yes. I didn't like Mr. Riley and I wasn't very nice to him. And I tell you kids, you better listen to me on this. You pick a fight with your teachers, you're going to lose. <laughs> because they're going to write the, 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 the report card based somewhat, uh, not just upon your performance, but upon your attitude. And you pick a fight with a teacher, you're going to lose. They got the last laugh. But you know, sometimes mercy affects us more than judgment. Treat people mercifully. The person who cuts you off on the road, treat them mercifully. They're not stupid, they're just distracted. Isn't that the first thing that comes out of your mouth? You idiot! <laughs> they may really be bright. They just, they're just trying to get a better radio station on right now and, and they weren't paying attention, if you understand what I'm saying. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me give you one more thing here and I'll let you go. The grace and the mercy of God, it makes you a worker, makes you want to be pure, makes you want to be humble, and it makes you tough. Look over to 2 Corinthians chapter, 9, or chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It makes you tough. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Beginning of verse 7, Paul says, "...to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations." He had just shared in the previous verses there about this vision of heaven that he had had that God had allowed him to see. He says, "...there was given me a thorn in my flesh." Now, we don't know what that is, but there was something in a physical sense that was really bugging him. Many people believed it was his eyesight was fading. Uh, and, and it might have been, I don't know. Uh, but there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He pleaded with God, God, take this away. Please, God, this is really hurting me. God, this is bothering me. Please, take this away. And what does God say? 
But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Wow. God can be a little hard line. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I know you feel weak because of what's going on in your body. But that's okay. And look what, look what Paul says here. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulty. For when I am weak, I am strong. I'm telling you, the grace of God made Paul tough, tough, tough. That didn't mean he didn't gripe about it a little. He did. God, take this away. Please. He pleaded with God. Take this away. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you because really you're going to become what you need to become when you rely on me. Your weakness will reveal my power. And Paul says, cool, baby. He says, I'm going to delight in weakness and insults and persecution. For when I'm weak, I am strong. He was tough. That he wasn't tough because he was tough. He was tough because the grace of God made him tough. He could endure it. He could grit it out. There's an old saying that wrestlers have is that after wrestling, everything's easy. There's, a, there's, another, there's another one I said a little bit earlier that said it's wrestling season. Don't eat around wrestlers and don't make direct eye contact with them. <laughs> I like that. Nick liked it. He was a wrestler. You know, after wrestling, everything's easy. After Christianity, everything's easy. What a Christian goes through to get their character in line with the character that God wants it to be, everything else is easy. Your boss wants you to work late? Eh, not that hard. Need to take a trip you didn't know you were going to have to take? Eh. If Jesus can die on the cross, I think I can take a plane trip. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you, you, you develop, because of the grace and mercy of God, you develop a toughness in you that probably you would have never, ever reached had you not become a Christian. And it's interesting, people in the world think, oh, you've gotten soft, you became a Christian. No, you became a Christian, you become tough as, tough as leather. You're way tougher than you ever were before you became a Christian because of the grace and mercy of God that has affected your character. Therefore, you delight in challenges. You delight in things that you need to get straightened out in your life. Because you know, if I'll submit myself to God, these things that are weaknesses in my flesh will become strengths in my life because God's power working in my life. Guys, I hope our study of grace and mercy has been helpful for you. Let's, uh, let's go out this week and have a wonderful time with our families and friends wherever we spend in vacation. Be merciful at Thanksgiving with your family and friends. Let's have a great week. You're dismissed.